Welcome to the 2014 Faith Forward podcast series. The following presentation was recorded live at the 2014 Faith Forward gathering, which was held in Nashville, Tennessee. On May 19th through the 22nd of that year, hundreds of conversation partners from across the globe and spanning dozens of denominational traditions gathered to question, share, and be inspired to reimagine ministry with youth and children. This podcast episode features Dave Sinis and Ivy Beckwith's presentation at this gathering, which they titled Mega Churches, Dark Nights, and Wonder Bread Communion Our Stories of Doubt, Disillusionment, and Hope on the Journey of Reimagination. When Ivy and I uh, began preparing this presentation, we were exchanging all sorts of ideas about how we wanted to frame our conversation here and how we could. Um, help frame the conversation for the next few days, we thought, how can we best serve to ignite the collective imagination of all of us here today? How can we frame this important theme that we'll be exploring during our time in Nashville? Theology, story, rhythm, and reimagination. As Danielle mentioned, we recently wrote a book together that touches on each of these ideas. So we had an idea of what we wanted to say, but we weren't sure how we wanted to say it. And then we realized that neither one of us in any of our individual or collaborative writing projects, neither of us had really stopped to tell our story. The story of how we both came to value theology, story, and rhythm. We've never shared in such a public forum how we've come to find ourselves in a time and a place where reimagination is no longer just one option, for faith formation with young people, but it's a crucial aspect of our way forward for the flourishing of children and youth and the church today. So that's what we want to do today, and we'll begin with Ivy's story. It had seemed that I had reached the pinnacle of children's ministry. I was the children's pastor at a large, growing megachurch with a celebrity senior pastor. There were 1,200 children on the attendance rolls, 800 or 900 of them would show up every Sunday. I was responsible for 550 volunteers. Um, We generally had about 600 children in our Vacation Bible School program, and another 200 or so that would show up for midweek programs. I was the administrator of a -a twice-a-week school concerning my days with curriculum, recruiting volunteers, training leaders and teachers, keeping track of supplies, interacting with parents, and negotiating working relationships with a large staff of pastors of whom I was the only woman. And I was blithely believing that all that I was doing would turn all these children into Christians. When I left that position, I was also supervising a staff of five children's ministry associates. And when I left that church staff, I was burned out. I could not handle one more recruiting season or one more teacher training session. So I moved into the Sunday school curriculum publishing world working first in the area of sales and marketing, and then moving into editing. And once again, I felt like I'd made it in terms of the small world of church children's ministry. 
All of a sudden, I was a workshop leader at Sunday school gatherings all over the country, and I was doing workshops at Children's Pastors Conference, hobnobbing with children's ministry royalty. But as I worked at developing new children's ministry resources and broadened my view of what was happening in churches across the country, I began to have an uneasy feeling that church, children, and youth ministry was losing its way. That there was too much emphasis on making being a Christian fun or on making church be something other than church. And that our dependence on a schooling model for spiritual nurture was not the best way to spiritually form our children and youth. I felt the church had allowed parents to abdicate their responsibility for creating a family faith identity by telling families that we, the church, can do it better. Now, this all coincided with my developing interest in the postmodern cultural shift. I began to read everything I could get my hands on, especially about the church and its response to postmodernism. I became convinced that the church needed to meet this challenge head on and embrace it, not run away from it or attempt to combat it. And I decided at that time to go back into local church ministry, ch local church children's ministry as well. Well, this decision and the national tragedy would prove to be life and faith altering for me. In 2000, I moved from California, where I had been working in publishing, back to Minnesota to a theologically moderate church where I was plunged into the world of emerging churches courtesy of some old friends, some new friends, and my new church's youth pastor. And at that same church, I was encouraged by the senior minister to rethink how this church understood and did children's ministry. I pulled two books off my office bookshelf, A Theology of Children's Ministry by Larry Richards and Will Our Children Have Faith by John Westerhoff. Both books, while written from seemingly opposite ends of the theological spectrum, said much the same thing. The authors agreed that formal schooling is no way to help children live in the way of Jesus. Both agreed that church faith formation ministries tended to underestimate the role of the family in a child's spiritual nurture and failed to challenge families to live in the way of Jesus as models to their children. And both agreed on the importance of the faith community particularly intergenerational relationships in the faith formation of the church's children and youth. So I decided to create a church children's ministry that emphasized these principles, adding the idea of mutual participation in corporate worship as a vehicle for spiritual transformation. Well, as I was beginning to enact these changes, in the way my church did children's ministry, September 11, 2001 happened. This horrible tragedy threw me into a spiritual tailspin. It called into question everything I believed about God and faith. 
I entered into a dark night of the soul. I couldn't pray, but I was an ordained minister serving a church, so I muddled through. But somewhere deep inside of me, I knew I still wanted to be a person of faith, but I knew also that what that looked like was going to be very different than it had in the past. So this is the place where my emerging church connections proved to be personally invaluable. I've heard people who walk down this same path say over and over again, emergent saved my life, and I am one of those people, and I'm going to look straight at Brian and say, thank you, Brian, and I'm going to cry here because Brian was a big part of that. My friends and the ideas we explored during the first half of the first decade of the 21st century showed me that new way of being a person of faith. I wish I could say that as I emerged from that dark night that I, in response to that, created a sustainable model of children's ministry where families nurtured their children, intergenerational relationships flourished, and I unlocked the secret of pan-generational worship. While some of that happened, my tenure at the church in Minnesota ended with my leaving under less than optimal circumstances. I left church ministry for a while, supporting myself through executive recruiting, book writing, and speaking engagements. But I continued to think about new faith formation practices with and for children and youth. In 2006, I was invited to become the minister to children and families at the Congregational Church of New Canaan, Connecticut, where I found a home in the United Church of Christ. Here, thanks to a large endowment, I was allowed to experiment with intergenerational worship, experiential age-appropriate worship, a tiny formational weekday preschool, and new ways of engaging children in the biblical narrative. Two years ago during this conference, during a late-night conversation, someone asked me what my children's ministry in my church looked like. I was serving a Presbyterian church in Manhattan at the time, and hearing questions like these tend to strike fear into me because while I worked hard to align the practical work of children and youth ministry with my philosophical beliefs, the things that I write and speak about, anyone walking into that church building at Broadway and 73rd Street might, in a cursory look, not see anything that different from the large, more traditional Presbyterian churches across Central Park. But as I strove to answer that woman's question, I knew that while it was, there weren't big changes, I knew that I was doing lots of little things that were different, new, and innovative. Not enough yet, but making progress. Well, now I'm not in a local church parish, but right now every church in the United Church of Christ with a faith formation ministry is my parish. And a member of my faith formation team, thank you, Kate, who's sitting over there, a member of my faith formation team is always reminding me to tell people my elevator speech of what I hope to help these churches do in the faith formation of children and youth. So here it is. 
I'm about helping churches imagine what could be rather than perpetuate what is. And my hope is that Faith Forward does that for all of you during our next few days together. I was born into a devout Catholic family and I grew up as a member of a local parish that blended social justice and music and spirituality into a potent elixir for encountering God in very real ways. So throughout my childhood and my teen years, my faith was formed through practices of prayer and worship and contemplation that allowed me to have firsthand experiences and encounters with God. A God that I came to know through these encounters as loving and beautiful and mysterious. I was, in many ways, the poster child for this congregation because I showed the power of enculturation as the six-year-old version of myself played mass at a desk in his bedroom, complete with communion hosts cut out of smushed Wonder Bread slices. <laughs> but the old real estate adage proved true when I left this parish in northern Ontario and moved six hours south to pursue my university education. Location, location, location. For the first time, I found myself in a context that wasn't characterized by the Catholicism of that mining community where I was raised. The friends that I made at university possessed theological lenses and denominational ties that I had only heard about and I never really understood. I struggled to express my faith to them in words, to respond to theological questions because I never stopped to ask them. As much as I encountered God during my childhood and adolescence, I realized that I had never constructed a cogent theological understanding of that God. So I was intrigued by my friend's articulate theological understandings and somewhat ashamed of my lack thereof, and my faith life shifted from one end of the theological spectrum to the other as I made an about-face away from experience and toward theological reasoning. My collection of theological books went from the only high school religion textbook that I forgot to give back at the end of the year to shelves filled with the words of theologians and apologists who seemed to explain Christianity in ways that made sense. And since I felt called to ministry with youth and children, I surrounded myself with popular books that offered appealing models to children's and youth ministry. This was the sort of honeymoon period in my faith life, but it gave way to a rocky marriage of faith. The fairly conservative and simplistic theology that recently seemed to make so much sense to me became an overbearing spouse, squashing the life out of the experiences of God that first formed my faith as a child and an adolescent. My experiences led me to know God as loving, but this newfound theology made God seem wrathful and angry. The faith of my younger years was enlivened by the mystery of who God is. But this new theology seemed to fit God into a neat and easy to understand box. Did this mean that my, the experiences I had in my younger years weren't real? Fearful that the answer to this question would be yes. I just kept my head down and I just kept listening to that dominating voice. And then I entered grad school. And my passion for working with youth and children evolved into a keen interest in the spiritual lives of young people. Almost 10 years ago now, I was taking a course on children's spirituality in Chicago. 
And the professors asked us on the first day to share a moment from our childhood or adolescence that stood out as a spiritual experience. We sat in a circle sharing these experiences, but I struggled to come up with something to say. I knew deep down that I had had many God moments that were worth sharing. But the theological views I'd learned after moving away to university had pushed these moments out of my life and out of my mind. They offered conflicting messages of who God was and is. And it was at this moment that the marriage of this newfound theology and my experiences as a young person was over. For too long, this theology had drowned out the God moments of my youth, telling me that they weren't real because they didn't line up with the beliefs that I'd been taught in my explorations beyond my Catholic home. I suddenly longed to be wrapped in mystery again, so I did what many people do during moments of existential crisis, and I went back to my roots. Free from a theology that stamped out my early experiences of God, I set out on a journey to rediscover these moments in my younger years, when God broke into my life through mystery, through awe, and through wonder. And as I reflected on these moments, which is a practice that I overlooked as a child and a teen when these moments happened, I came to see that I didn't need an outside voice to infuse theological significance into them because these God moments were pregnant with theological meaning that burst through my reflection diffused into every corner of my theological imagination. It was in rediscovering the inbreaking of God in my childhood and teenage self that my understanding of who God is and what it means to follow Jesus took shape in ways that I could for once really truly affirm. And as God continues to break into the rhythm of my life, often in unexpected ways, the journey of theological understanding continues and grows. In the end, it was going back to that makeshift altar with Wonder Bread Communion that my faith was saved. We share these stories with you as a way of framing how we got to where we are as Christians and as leaders in ministry with young people. We imagine that some of the elements of these stories are similar to your stories and that some are different. But we share them because we believe that a dramatic reimagining of children and youth ministry begins with each one of the stories that come together in this room. Embedded in these stories is all we need to bring revolutionary, all-encompassing shifts in what it means to minister with youth and children. As you move through the next few days, share your stories with each other. How did you get here? What are you doing to nurture faith in youth and children? Together, we can crowdsource our reimaginings of children's and youth ministry in the way of Jesus. So this week, may our imaginations run away with us as we dream about what could be in our churches, in our families, and in our communities, and in whatever else God calls us to do to nurture faith in children and youth.
this podcast episode are reproduced by permission of the presenter and Faith Forward under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivations Copyright. The Faith Forward podcasts are produced by Dave Sinis. Stay tuned for more episodes of the 2014 Faith Forward podcast series on the web at faith-forward.net. And join us in Chicago for the 2015 Faith Forward Gathering, April 20th through 23rd.